Welcome to the Westerverse. My name is Lizzie, and these are my campaign diaries for the Guardians of the Hall. Uh, I hope y'all are doing well right now. I feel like uh, I feel like this is going to be a shorter episode. When I was going over uh, my notes, it was kind of short, but you know we're gonna. Uh, who knows? I'll, I'll find some tangent to go on. But anyway, uh, this episode, this is episode 32. Uh, today I'm going to be talking about episode 20, Schrodinger's Workers. Um, I, I really don't have tons of notes for this one um, that aren't going to be super repetitive. It's mostly about how I don't know how to make combat interesting. Um, but in general, uh, yeah, that's, I'm gonna try, I'll try to come up with more interesting talking points. Uh, so, um, anyway, uh, this session was the first session where we were playing remote and I was able to use roll 20 for combat. And I will say there was definitely a learning curve with using roll 20 after playing in person. Um, one thing that was really nice was I got to use a lot of digital maps because my old method was literally taking maps I had found online and then just trying to print them. Um, there's a specific formula I have saved where I can print it to match up with the square size. Um, and I know I could just use like a regular old school map where you draw on it with markers, but you know, I'm kind of extra and I like having actual like map maps and uh yeah so I found one online um of some sort of like underwater like sewer systems and use that and it was cool to have everyone's tokens but the problem is is it started a bad trend of us just saying there because we could point easier on you know in roll 20 there's a feature where if you hover over a square it'll just pop up so we started saying there a lot and I didn't use as much description probably as I could have um and the one thing is, since then is I've been able to uh build more maps in incarnate incarnate in between when we started playing online and today uh has released uh an addition where you can make battle maps and I freaking love it they're just gonna they're about to do their 2.0 release and i'm so excited because i'm very picky about maps and i'm never happy with any of them so anytime they release new features i'm super excited um i was literally talking about this with one of our friends that we used to play DD with back in the day he said he he messaged me he's like hey do you make maps for you do you use roll 20 and i'm like yeah and he's like how do you make maps in roll 20 because it takes forever for me and i'm like i don't use roll 20 to make maps i make them in incarnate and he's like what what do you mean you make them in incarnate? What's incarnate? <laughs> I sent them the link. And then I was like trying to, by the way, this is not sponsored by incarnate, but I really do love their product. Um, and he said, well, wait a minute. Like what? This is awesome. And I'm like, yeah, if you, and most of their stuff is free, but there is some premium stuff. And he says, oh no, I'm already paying for the year subscription. This is well worth it. I can make a map in like five minutes. It saves my life. And I feel that they got a ton of cool options. Sometimes when I'm like stressed and I don't really feel like working, but I want to do something creative, I literally will sit and just create new maps and incarnate. So it's like, ooh, let's make an underground temple, or ooh, let's make a forest map, or 
ooh, let's make the entire guild hall or the school or something. And it's just, yeah, I, I have a problem. I, I like making maps. <laughs> but I'm not talented enough to draw them on my own, so I use Incarnate. Um, yeah, the one thing, oh yeah, one thing I wanted to talk about, um, that I don't have in my notes, but I probably should, I don't know how many of you listening to this know about the joke behind Schrodinger. Um, earlier in the game, someone asked what somebody's last name was of the aqueduct worker who was working at night when the uh, break-in at the guild happened, and I said his last name was Schrodinger, which technically for somebody who's not noble or has some sort of like, you know, land claims, like they probably shouldn't have a last name because last names were kind of associated with like either the name of the town you were from or if you were like of a profession um, or you were a noble family. So most people just didn't have last names. They'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm. I'm Bob from Main Street, or I'm Bob from Main, or um, you could, if if it wasn't such a big, you know, if you wanted a specific street, you could say, oh, this is Mary of Dublin Street, or whatever, uh, you know, so, like, that's kind of where the joke came from, is I just picked Schrodinger, because it was funny, but it is kind of funny, because the name of this episode, Schrodinger's Workers, is they don't know what happened to these mysterious, like, these, these aqueduct workers, and so it's kind of the thing where it's like, somebody's missing, they could be both, the NPC could be both alive, or dead, and you won't know until you observe them. Um, and for those of you who don't know, I'm going to explain the Schrodinger's thing. But that's basically where the joke comes from. There's a philosopher where it was the riddle of Schrodinger's cat, where there's like a cat in a box, and you don't know if the cat is alive or dead. Um, and you won't know until you observe it. So until the cat, you observe the cat, it could both be alive and it can be alive or dead at the same time. It's, it's, I'm not doing it justice, but that's kind of where the name came from. Because the workers could be alive or dead at the same time until observed. Um, so, going beyond philosophy jokes and, uh, making maps and incarnate, because I'm not talented enough to just draw them on my own. Uh, so, yeah, why did I put this monster down in here? Well, I knew, so... I could tell that they were struggling, and I, I, I wanted to give them something to fight. So I was like, okay, well, what could I have them fight that is kind of, I guess, I, I'm trying to get away from this personally, but I have a bad tendency to be like, okay, all my combat things have to be like super planned. Like it can only, they can only fight it. The monster only exists if it's tangentially related to the larger narrative of the world I'm telling. Like I can't just have a random encounter table and be like this, this, or this. The only instance I did that was when they were traveling for like a few days. Um, and that's because I was like, oh, I want to make the travel fun. And you know, traveling isn't always fun. And I don't always want to have monsters that they run into. I want to, I'll do some, some random encounters, but like, you know, for for this I was like okay so I know that I want them to confirm and keep in their heads that they're trying to summon some things from extra domain extra dimensional planes for reasons that have to do with the larger story and I was talking about this with one of my friends and I was like you know what could I have them like I want to keep on that theme and he's like well you know you could always have it where they were trying to summon some stuff and get in contact with the uh a being of some sort, which, uh, 
so this actually this is this is potentially some spoilery stuff so we're gonna just we're gonna put we're gonna say that this is some spoiler stuff and based on when i'm recording this i don't actually think these episodes will be out right now or it'll be recent information so i'm gonna try to keep it somewhat vague but if you don't want spoilers like at all for anything that's recently out or could be out in the near future stop listening okay So, um, this group of the first ones are specifically trying to bring back something or get in contact with something from an extra plane. So, I wanted, I liked the idea of, our, my, my friend posed it as, it could be either a, uh, <laughs> a misconnection, <laughs> like they were trying to summon them and there was a little bit of, like, summon an agent of them or summon something from their plane to get in contact with them and it didn't go right. So there were some like beans that slipped through their accidental summoning. And I really liked that. Or perhaps he, he liked to phrase it as, and this is a trope of his game where like, it's a, it's a, it's a messenger. Um, but a messenger from their God sounds like madness to a regular person. now is when you can return welcome back people who are not caught up um so he recommended a gibbering mouther and um these are really cool monsters and they have cool area of effects and had not like had not lauren critted and and hughes rolled so well and then my stupid paladin player rolling super high this thing could have lasted longer and i thought about throwing two of them in there but the problem is uh, they normally, like, and this was in the lore text, they tend to absorb into one another. So I really was like, well, that wouldn't make sense that they'd have two there because they would have absorbed together enough time has passed. But maybe what I should have done instead is just had a really big one or, like, toughened it up and, like, maybe given it a higher, like, a like kept the AC the same but given it more hit points or some other wild effect because two had merged into one. So it could have lasted longer because it was really a disappointment of a fight because uh, half the party wasn't even involved in it and they killed it in, like, two rounds. Um, yeah, but gibbering mouthers are interesting monsters. They have, uh like a really unique area of effect and there's something kind of like lovecraftian about them where they're just these babbling mouths of madness uh and it's kind of like this horror slime monster of like where it consumes its victims and then it's like their mouths are now on their body and that's just kind of creepy and fun um and you know who doesn't want that when you're playing D D and exploring the aqueducts um but yeah, they, they killed it right away, and that was kind of disappointing. <laughs> oh, you know one okay, so one thing I should actually talk about, and this is going I'm this this episode is in no particular order today, so I'm sorry for those of you who listen to this. If you are looking for this to be chronological, it's not a chronological day. My brain isn't like that today, but I'm gonna record this anyway, because I have deadlines to meet. Um but okay, so the last episode they had just met up with Hughes and they were going to go into the aqueducts and um 
Lauren's character didn't go into the lamb with them because I had sent her a note saying, this is probably spoileries too, but I had sent a note saying you don't want to go into the lamb because you know this is one of the venerable fronts and there's a chance Felix would be recognized here because it's not that far away from their own front. So she didn't go in there. <laughs> and uh, so she had to rejoin them with Hughes and for some reason was trying to sneak up uh and then he saw them, and yeah, so deception and trust, and everyone has a different lie, and they're not sure should they pretend to know them or not. Um, I, yeah, and it's just really interesting because they're, so the, the, the thing about this party that's hilarious, that I kind of love, because it creates an interesting problem solving, is we have a person in the party who is really I wouldn't always say they're good lies but they are their innate response to when they have to cover for something is to lie and is pretty good at coming up with some sort of like deception is Megan who's playing Una but Una does not have a high charisma and is not trained in deception so she doesn't have a good chance of succeeding on a deception check versus and then we have the twins who just don't lie on principle because they feel like it's wrong and it just doesn't quite fit their MO and they're also very like they're not afraid to be honest so it just creates a very interesting dynamic of like you got one player who's like well this is who this person is and it's clearly a lie and they rolled really bad and then you got like Hans and Franz who don't want to lie but also are like well I can't really say who this is uh this is complicated I don't really like this and it's just an interesting problem solving dynamic but fortunately they managed to say something semi-convincing um to get down into the aqueducts. And honestly, it's one of those things where it's like, I could have been more dick of a dick about it, but you know, Andrew rolled so well on his persuasion check and Hughes has a very high opinion of the twins, even though he thinks they're kind of dumb sometimes like that. He's, he, he was swayed. So it meant, it meant I didn't have to have a dumb, like, well, you're clearly lying and, you know, I got to take you down to the hoose cow and, you know, because that just makes D&D sometimes. I don't know. Some DMs like that sometimes. I find that very tedious to go through. Not because I don't want my players to have consequences, but it also just, it can get tedious. And maybe that's because we had, so in one of the games that we used to be in with somebody who no longer DMs for us and we don't really hang out with anymore, like they had that as like a thing where we constantly got drug in front of like, city officials who were dicks and there was misunderstandings and sometimes we deserved it but god it was so tedious and annoying it was like a weird power trip thing and it just got really really old so I tend not to like to do that in my games uh so yeah I'm happy that they just naturally rolled high enough to persuade Hughes that like it's totally not weird to have this person tag along with them who looks like a young teen like a old slightly older teenager you know it's totally fine he's coming to help him out um another thing i had as a note as a continuation is lauren again rocking her her scottish accent and again i'm sorry if anyone from like scotland is listening to this and they're like that's a shitty scottish accent i'm sorry we're american and we're I don't have good excuses, but, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was a pretty good accent. <laughs> I really like it. Oh, man. Actually, there, there's a random, okay, I'm going to tell a random side story here. Uh, my friend and I, who we had come up with, like, doing the, gib- the, the gibbering mouth or 
for this game with. I had planned this for a few sessions and then we got delayed because of COVID. Um, but I was hanging out like, before that, when he had, when he had suggested it, we had all been in a game together, and Lauren was in this game with us. And one of the last few sessions we played before this game wrapped up, and it was right before COVID, uh, she had gone to one of her friends' one shots that she ran at the comic book store, um, in the city she lived in, and had kind of a crazy experience where basically everything went wrong and they had a broken uh, they were fighting a wizard with a broken wand and somebody tried to use it and a polymorph them into a, a gibbering mouther and then another player tried to polymorph them into it and then they turned into a gibbering mouther so they grabbed the guy that they originally were supposed to rescue which was this wizard whose wand was broken he was turned into a sheep and they tried to get out of there and lock the the gibbering mouthers in the towers and we're like, okay, okay, we'll come back and rescue them, like, in this one shot. But then realized that they would merge into one, so it was doomed anyway. And it was just, like, a crazy thing. As she's telling this story, my friend and I are, like, shooting eyes, like, across the table at each other. Because I had just decided to use a gibbering mouther in my game. And it was like, welp. That'll be a fun thing to live through for her. Um, and everyone was like, yeah, those are creepy monsters. And they just completely nerfed it. Um, anyway, so it was kind of fortunate, though, because between when that happened and then we actually played, there had been like four or six weeks of not playing yeah, maybe four weeks of not playing. So, like, you know, there had been, like, a month of time between when she had that experience and then when this had, when she fought another gibbering mouther in my game. So it kind of was funny. Like, she'd forgotten about it. And then it came back, and it was great. And this time it did not end so tragically. They just killed it right away. <sighs> what else is there to say? I don't have too much more before they um, go exploring other than... Oh, what? Okay, so... When I was looking at the gibbering mouther, I kind of wanted to give them something as a confirmation that, like, you know, the 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 aqueduct workers were dead. Yes, Schrodinger's workers were dead this whole time. I know, it was shocking. Uh, maybe one day they'll rescue an NPC that's alive. I don't know. <laughs> but um, I this isn't in the thing, but I was thinking about when extra-dimensional or extra-planar beings die, like, fiends or fey or elementals they tend to just poof back into like their own dimension and since gibbering mouthers are aberrations and they're from an in D&D lore Forgotten Realms lore specifically they're from one of the like uh like the plane that like the old ones are from and like the the illithids and stuff like that I, I knew that it was going to disappear, but I wanted to leave something behind. And I thought about it. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Okay, so if its mouth, if the mouths of its victims kind of like form in the gibbering mouth or on the gibbering mouth there and don't get digested, does that mean those teeth are still the human's teeth? Because if those are the human's teeth, they probably wouldn't go back to like the other plane and I just thought that was, I thought about it for a while, you know, instead of sleeping or doing something useful, this is what I was thinking about. And I was like, you know, that's actually really creepy and I really like it. So I'm going to use that. And I, so I left like seven sets of teeth because I wanted to also hint that some of the aqueduct workers and maybe some venerable people or whoever, you know, some mystery teeth have got consumed. It's very sad. You know, these poor people. 
Um, somebody has to be sacrificed to the D&D monsters. Um, but yeah, there was teeth left over and it was really gross and creepy and it left kind of a fun impact on the players and I have no regrets for it. Um, I, I really, uh, I, I think it's, uh, they wanted to, uh, the argument over, can you speak with dead on teeth? I, I feel like there has to be like an intact mouth. So you need like a tongue as well or like a head to be able to do speak with dead. And also like, okay, so this is one of those things in D and D and I, as, as, as being honest, I, I have gone back and forth with this, and it's probably because I haven't really been faced with it, but I have mixed feelings over how easy resurrection is as an option. I know there's a material cost to it, so obviously, like, adventurers probably could afford it if they're around somebody that has a high enough cleric level or whatever. Um, And maybe for, like, a favor, that could be a fun quest thing. But, like, by and by, like... There's this attitude in D&D where it's like, if this kind of magic exists, then of course you can just do it. So like, oh, you take these teeth to the cleric and they can totally resurrect it. Well, who's forking over like the thousand gold? I think resurrection's a thousand gold. How much is it? Actually. Okay, so resurrection is a seventh level spell and it's a thousand gold. Okay, so, so nobles could potentially afford that. Um... How ev actually hmm, no that's tricky mm, that's tricky okay because like then if a noble died in battle then you know that means they could pay to have them resurrected um that might be a little too easy that might be a little too easy uh maybe maybe there's like the soul has to want to come back too or something you know because I was like ooh. Then if that exists as an option, nobles could totally exploit the hell out of it, which is possible, but still. Um, yeah, so, like, I don't think, like, it's it's not, no one's going to just fork out, like, a thousand gold to, like, resurrect seven randos from the, you know, aqueducts. And I'm not saying their their lives didn't matter. I think they do, but, like, you know, the society doesn't because people don't care. Um, yeah, so, like, resurrection is one of those really tricky things. Like, as a player... And as a DM, I like having it as an option for the players, but man, oh man, oh man, does it create some issues with, like, society. Like, okay, so one of the things politically, which I like political drama, especially with nobles, and one of the most interesting things to mess around with that creates drama is so-and-so dies, which kid is inheriting their shit, or, you know, who's taking over their throne thing, and if you can just resurrect them, you know, that kind of creates an issue of, like, well, why didn't they just resurrect them, and then the crisis is averted, and then by time there's old age, there could still be conflicts, but at the same time, yeah, that's, that's kind of hard, um, because I feel like most nobles could afford to spend like a thousand dollars like if they had a like a kid die in infancy infancy or whatever uh they could totally spend like a thousand gold um so maybe there's a thing where it doesn't always work like maybe your spirit kind of has to be strong um i don't know it's one of those things where i don't i could think about it a lot more um 
And I don't want to, that's the thing is I have a hard time sticking to rules like this because I like the power of being able to break them because I need, I want the rule of fun to kind of be in there. And, you know, I don't want to say it's never an option because if the players think it could be an option for X, Y, and Z situation, I don't want to take it off the table. But anyway, it's fortunately something I haven't had to mess with too much. But yeah, the, that little interaction about taking the teeth to a cleric and having them resurrect them or whatever. Um, it also makes me wonder, like, how common is resurrection in the Bendaya since Hans and Franz, like, even thought about that? Should they have even thought about that? As players, it makes sense they would think about that, but would the, would the Bendaya have that powerful of magic? Because, um, like, wouldn't they just keep resurrecting soldiers who, like, fell in battle, like, if they had access to jewel mines? Um, hmm. Now, that's actually an interesting... Hmm. That is an interesting question. I might need to think about that a little bit more because that would explain why they're so fucking hard to kill. Anyway, so, um, yeah, they're gonna keep exploring. Um, one little, one little final note as we go. This is another little episode where Sam is having Nora slowly work on her fear of water and gets to show off some of her swimming skills that she's learned practicing with Una as they were traveling back from Windvale. It's always nice. I like it when players have their character have like a fear of something and then it shows them working on it where it's not just like a narrative one-time moment of suddenly I'm over this trauma. It's a work in progress. And it's nice that Sam thought about that so far in advance and started planting seeds of like, these are instances where... Nora was trying to get herself used to water. And, you know, swimming through a bit of a, a dark water is very scary. I mean, I get a little freaked out with water I can't see through. Um, so it was kind of a nice moment for her. And it was also cool that, like, Una's been the one to help her with it. Since Una is so much in love with water and has more of a positive affinity for it. So, yeah, it was, it was a good moment overall. Lots of little cute moments in this session. Shame my beastie died so quick, but hey, what are you gonna do? Uh, yeah, I think that's basically it for this episode. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. If you like this episode, leave us a comment. Uh, if you want me to cover more stuff in detail, I can reply to it on social media or under Patreon. Uh, if you really like our podcast, consider giving us a review on itunes or your regular podcast platform we would really appreciate it um next time we're going to be talking about episode 21 where they continue exploring the aqueducts and uh i talk about all the potential ways they could have gone and what they would have uncovered depending on what part of the city they went to Ooh. see you then adventurers have a good one Thank you.